On the 17th of October this year, a juggernaut was set in motion. From a mahogany and emerald green room in the heart of the legislature, MPs began an inquiry into grand corruption at the state-owned power utility. That's ESCO. There were attempts to derail it. Some ANC members went to the party's headquarters and pleaded for the top brass to stop it. And when that failed, the intimidation began. There was even an alleged attempt to bribe the evidence leader. But none of this would stop what had started. I think those attacks has made us more stronger. And we now know exactly how to focus. I have also learned the hard way. So what have we learned so far about the behind-the-scenes maneuverings at ESCOM that we were so oblivious to before? And who have emerged as the main characters in the state-capture drama? At this stage, the committee will not make a final pronouncement of the evidence before it. However, the committee is of the view that there is sufficient evidence to prompt actions to be taken by the minister and the ESCOM board to stop any further abuse of state resources. I'm Charlotte Kilbane. And I'm Rahima Esop. And this is the third installment of The State We're In. I understand we're calling this something special. What are we calling it, Rahima? Let's call it 13 Reasons Why. Okay, that sounds familiar. Isn't that the title of that Netflix show about the teenager who commits suicide but not before sending a series of tapes to her classmates, telling them how they contributed to her mental breakdown, and then almost all of them say that they wish they had known in hindsight and they would have done things differently? It had a particularly dark script. It did, didn't it? Well, I haven't watched it, to be honest. A bit too dark for my liking. So how does that relate to ESCOM, other than the hindsight part, of course, because that's been a running theme of this inquiry? Firstly, I like the title. Secondly, there are at least 13 big reasons why MPs are investigating allegations of state capture. And the third reason is that many of the witnesses who've testified so far say they would have done things differently had they known the consequences of their actions. Hindsight, as people say, is a perfect science. It's always 2020, isn't it? So what are those 13 reasons? Here's what I think we should do. I think we should mix things up this episode. I'm going to let Pravin Gordon take the lead on this one, and we'll dive into each one as we go along. So on the one side of the scale, we have all the coal purchase controversies, the IT systems controversies, boards that are dominated by Gupta-linked people, suspensions of officials who are actually innocent eventually, uh, and, and the one who ha- is the actually implicated gets uh, redeemed and comes back into Eskom. So what Gordon highlighted in that very useful summary is the nub of the allegations against the Gupta brothers, Atul, AJ and Tony, as well as their associates. They have allegedly been using their influence on the board of ESCOM and Transnet and their connections to executives at the state-owned enterprise to score lucrative contracts. Anod Singh, the suspended CFO, allegedly played a role in facilitating ESCOM's dealings with Trillion, which used to be owned by Gupta associate Salim Essa. You would remember we spoke about him in episode one. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen. One witness testified that Anod Singh gave Trillion employees a memory stick with information on it that gave them the upper hand over other companies. Trillion was paid an exorbitant amount of money over a very short period, and whistleblowers have told MPs there was no value for money. 
And were the Guptas also involved in getting certain executives suspended? That does not seem to be the case, according to the testimony we've heard so far. Dudu Mieni, who is the former chairperson of South African Airways, and President Jacob Zuma, whom she has a very close relationship with, they were allegedly behind these suspensions. We spoke about this in the previous episode. And again, if you haven't listened, go back and listen. You have problems with chairs, particularly Mr. Sotsi. Uh, we have the articulation of Section 217 of the Constitution on procurement as an important value system, if you like, that we need to subscribe to. But everything that we do seems to be violating that systematically. We say that we want more black companies to actually benefit from deals that ESCOM makes. And yet a prominent and fairly large blacklisted company, Exaro, and I hope we, uh, the evidence leader will bring, will bring us that evidence, is being victimized at the moment, according to the information that I have. So there's Pravin Gordon basically saying that government's own black economic empowerment policies are being abused to benefit the few. Is that a fair assumption? It seems that way. Trillion grew out of a company called Regiments Capital. When it started, it fashioned itself as a black-owned consulting firm. And many of the former regiment staff joined Trillion because they wanted to be part of a progressive and exciting new venture. But as one witness put it, she was used for a, quote, perverse project to milk state-owned enterprises. You have uh, the Denton's report, but the Denton's report was firstly locked up. Mr. Molefe doesn't read it, uh, although he's the chief executive who should actually implement the Denton's report. You have the threat issued in inverted commerce to Mr. Sotsi. You have the 1.6 billion run illegal guarantee given by the CFO uh, of uh, Eskom, Mr. Singh. You have uh, the Donnell chair who actually attacked the National Treasury and the then minister publicly, but there was no reprimand. But it's not surprising because he's listed in the Gupta emails as well. You have the prepayment that Mr. Singh agreed to, uh, which eventually was used to buy these uh, uh, optimum holdings of some 600 million rands. You have a fine of 2.1 billion rands, as we've heard, uh, on that mine that's reduced to 600 million rands once the Tegeta uh, takes over those mines. You have the uh, locomotives deal. All of that is evidence on one side. And on the other side, as far as the public is concerned, all we have is denials. I end my case. Thank you. It really does bring it into perspective when you have Pravin Gordon just going through case by case. This is what we're looking at. And, and these are the things that we're concerned about. There was one thing in, in that little soundbite that we just played. And I obviously have been following this as closely as you have, Rahima. The Denton's Report. Have I heard that name before? What is that even? You have. The Denton's report is the report that was commissioned by ESCOM to look at the financial problems at the company back in 2015. It was around the same time that the senior executives were suspended. Remember, Dudu Mieni and the president had allegedly their hands in that. It's this report that was commissioned. The report set ESCOM back more than 20 million rand. These things don't come cheap. Nice, eh? ESCOM finally yielded and released the heavily redacted report earlier this year. It includes the following findings. ESCOM wasted around 200 million rand over two years by failing to negotiate proper discounts with diesel suppliers. You'd think they want good deals. 
but no. Senior executives handpicked suppliers they wanted to negotiate with, and there was little regard for the Public Finance Management Act, which, if you don't know, is this piece of legislation that governs the way that officials have to use public money. And speaking of public money, let's just take a moment to mourn the 20 million rand that they spent on a report that at least to me, and by the way you you, you describe it, sounds like it's describing the bleeding obvious. I could have told them that for half of 20 million rand. And this uh, this uh, commission that we've been looking at, commission of inquiry that we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks, is so very important for us because everything that ESCOM does has to do with our money. We we give them as taxpayers, we give them the money that they spend on things like bad deals and twenty million rand reports to tell them they're not doing well enough, and so it has to be doing things right. It has to be doing well. It's too big to fail. It's just we can't. The economy can't afford for ESCOM to fail. It's too big to fail. It's too big to fail, but it's uh, clearly not too big to be grinding on in some weird state. And I gather that next year, when this inquiry resumes, we are going to have some more nasty cockroaches scuttling out from the corners. Probably, but what I can say is that by the time this podcast goes to air, we will likely hear about the new board members who are going to be appointed and their jobs will be to steer the ship in the right direction. There's been an interim board in place for the past couple of months and everyone will be looking to see who are the new directors who will be appointed to pull ESCOM up and get it functioning the way it should. And we'll keep you updated on that and on everything else related to this Commission of Inquiry. For the moment, we're going to be focusing on board announcements and then the ANC elective conference, of course. And in the new year, we'll be back with more heavy and in-depth coverage on this very interesting inquiry.